I'll start this year. We'll see if more people join. Um, but either way, it's recorded, so we'll go live on like on YouTube and our podcast anyway. But the topic is what to do in the first three months of being a new head of marketing. Um, I think this apply, applies more broadly, not just head of marketing. I talked previously about what to do if you're the first marketing hire with a marketing manager um, or what that role might be at a company that mainly scaled through either outbound sales or through uh, the founder's personal network. Um, and now you're coming in and you need to build out a marketing process from scratch, um, really ramp up the marketing activities from zero. And so I'm going to share my screen here because I basically summarized my thoughts in a LinkedIn post yesterday. And then we can go through, there we go. We got Edip joining. And then we can go through the points here and then dive into any of the specifics. So mainly my goal with these events is really to share some thoughts, some learnings, um, that we're we're making at Project 33. Obviously, we work with a bunch of B2B companies, set up marketing for them, um, mostly in the tech and software space, um, mostly working directly with the founders or CEOs of these companies. So I would say we've we've learned a thing or two. Obviously, we're running a similar process for ourselves through myself uh, to to generate generate inbound for us. And so yeah, share lessons here, but then also dive into more specifics and nuances here. So really, my goal with these events is to open it up to questions and then dive into specific cases. So after I present a couple of thoughts here, I encourage you guys any kind of very niche specific question to your specific company or problem that you're dealing with on the ground, I'm happy to dive into it because I don't have the space for that in like a LinkedIn post or like a three-minute video, right? I need to make keep it more broad uh, for those. So anyway, here's the post where I summarized it. Uh, it's pretty simple, actually. We'll go through the points. I would say now, I thought about this a little bit more. I would add one additional point uh, before the first point here, basically, which is that I would learn about the company and the product and our customers. Right? Because if you're a marketer and you go out and you build out a marketing process, before any of that, you really want to have a good understanding of what the company is selling, what the product is, what the benefits and features are, and then who are the people that you're selling to, right? Understanding the customer and their pain points and their kind of roadblocks and inefficiencies that they want to solve that they come to you. So I would probably do this before I join the company, just by looking at their website, looking at what they already have out there, trying to reverse engineer why someone might buy from the company that I'm that I'm working for. And then ideally, hopefully, I would also be able to talk to some actual customers. I would do that also before kind of setting this up. Um, this depends on the company, whether they allow you to do that. If you're head of marketing, they will pretty likely allow you to do that. If you're joining as a marketing manager or the first marketing hire, they might not allow you to actually speak to real customers. But I think there's nothing beats that, you know, ask them direct questions of why they have bought from you, what problems they were looking to solve, you know, at what stage they considered you, what brought them to consider you and what features they like the most, right? Because I think this will just allow you to have a much broader perspective when you go out as a marketer and build out these processes, because the end goal is always to generate customers, right? And to, to sell more. Right. And so if you don't have a basic understanding of the product and the customers, it will make your hard job very hard. Um, all right. Once I have that in place, 
Uh, I would basically go to my CEO and founder and convince them to do a weekly interview with me. I would interview them every week for 30 to 60 minutes, and I would make it very easy for my founder and CEO. I would prepare questions for them. And these questions are around the company, around the product, around the features and the benefits of what we're selling, and then mostly around their core expertise, right? Trying to extract insights and knowledge and tips and tricks and strategies and commentary on the industry and where things are going out from them. It doesn't have to be the founder and CEO. It can be a different leader within the company. It might be the CMO. It might be the CTO. But I think the founder and CEO is by far the most likely candidate because they're the founder. They deeply understand the company and the product and their customers. They have great stories, probably, if they've been running this business for three years that they can share. And people love hearing from founders. And the CEO is like the natural spokesperson, right? So I wouldn't try to, to create this content on my own as a marketing manager because you need depth of expertise when we're in a B2B environment where you need to demonstrate a lot of expertise and to build a lot of trust and credibility with people. All right. So I would do this interview. I would then produce that interview into a weekly podcast, basically just clip it, you know, some back and forth that my CEO and founder might have put a, you know, intro and outro into the thing, and then use a tool like anchor.fm, which is very intuitive. There's other tools like that out there to basically upload the podcast and then distribute it to Spotify and iTunes, which Anchor and other tools do automatically for you. So now you already have a weekly podcast going out there. I think podcasts become more and more relevant. I would try to position the show or the podcast from the title as something that adds value to our target audience to our ideal customers, right? If we're selling to healthcare professionals, I would call the podcast something around, you know, becoming a better healthcare professional or how to grow your healthcare company or, you know, whoever these people are, right? The goal is to add value to them. Then from there, I would create bite-sized LinkedIn videos and LinkedIn copies, basically just transcribing the video. You can use tools like otter.ai um, and Descript to clip the video and create video snippets from it pretty quickly. Um, and I focus on LinkedIn because, again, we're talking about B2B in this environment. If we're talking B2C, it would be different. But for B2B, there's currently no better platform than LinkedIn. So I would focus on that, create video snippets, create text posts, create some image posts, get a variety of all these different formats um, and post them through my founders and CEO's personal profile. Company page is nice. I would also publish them on the company page. But the real focus is the founder's personal profile. And my aim is literally posting daily. Like my goal would be to post every single day, Monday through Friday. Maybe sometimes it won't be enough. Maybe sometimes it's three times a week, sometimes two times a week, but that's the goal. Having a new standalone piece of content Monday through Friday and then posting through the founder. I would keep doing that for uh, a couple of weeks and months, kind of experimenting, seeing what topics resonate, seeing what insights people care about, iterating based on that, right? Directing my questions that I ask my founder and CEO based on what resonance we get on those posts, based on what comments and follow-up questions we get. Um, I would also try to connect with people and kind of proactively engage through their account um, to help them out a little bit. And then I think the next biggest impact thing that we could do is then to look back, let's say after two or three months, then we've posted what, after two months, we've posted 40 pieces of content, which is a lot, right? So we ran basically 40 little experiments of little messaging to see what actually resonates in the market. And then from those 40 or 60, let's say after three months, I would go 
use a tool like Shield, which is great, analyticsshieldapp.ai, to um, look back on the performance and just take my whatever five to 10 best performing posts and videos from that period. And I would run them as LinkedIn ads towards targeted accounts. So I would build a list you know, I would define our customer profile, right? Who are we trying to reach? Then I would build a list of 50 to 100 companies that fit that perfectly based on industry, company size, revenue, uh, you know, triggers like a new funding round that they raised, build that list. And then with LinkedIn ads, you can, you know, target the exact stakeholders within these companies, right? So I can add those 50 to 100 companies. I can add the exact stakeholders I'm trying to reach, whether we're selling into the CTO or the head of HR or the head of product or the, the CEO or the CFO. I can add these exact people. And then the purpose of the content is not so much lead gen. I would just add them to run them towards our website. I'm not trying to collect emails because the assumption here is that we're selling a high ticket complex solution with long sales cycles where you know someone doesn't like watch a video and then purchase and so really the the point of this content is uh one to educate the market around what we do and how we do it um build trust and credibility by sharing case studies and success stories and sharing the insights and knowledge and expertise from my founder and ceo right like showing that we actually know what we're doing right that we have someone who's been there done that for for some time and who can talk authoritatively about what we do and why it matters and the benefits of our product or, or service that we offer. And then from there, I think there's many other places that you can then repurpose this content. I think for a B2B environment, embedding the content on the website makes a lot of sense, building like a resources or blog page, um, uploading all of the videos to YouTube makes a lot of sense because you already have the videos. I would create a monthly email newsletter that I would send out to previous leads, previous opportunities, closed close losts, you know, people we were in contact with before and try to build that list and just share a useful nugget of information, educational. Again, we're not trying to promote the product here or have some transactional email of, hey, you should work with us. We're cheaper than this competitor, right? It's just adding value, sharing expertise, um, sharing it, uh, sending it monthly. And then I think TikTok, YouTube shorts, Twitter threads are really interesting things that are a little bit dependent on your industry. I think Twitter is really interesting for the tech software kind of VC funded space, because obviously a lot of the founders, angels, that whole community is, is very active on Twitter. Uh, we've we've been getting some good results with YouTube shorts lately, where we created uh, you know short vertical video formats of our best performing videos. And we've been posting them on TikTok, Instagram Reels, and YouTube Shorts. And so far, the resonance on YouTube Shorts has been the best. Um, we've actually grown our subscribers on YouTube faster than ever before. I mean, it's still slow, but we added like 10 new subscribers in the last 10 days, which was is a lot. Like if you've if you've been on YouTube, you know how how long it can take to kind of build grow organically there. So, um, and we've been actually getting engagement there, like people giving real comments and pushback on the YouTube shorts that we've been publishing. And then lastly, I would grow the stack from there, right? Like if that's validated and higher. Uh, if that's validated, I would try to just scale the marketing by just adding more people from my company, by adding more of the leaders, whether that's my CTO, whether that's my head of product, head of customer success, head of sales, right? Because each of these people have their own unique point of view, 
right? The CTO can talk from the technical perspective, head of product can talk about the product features and benefits, head of customer success has close contact with our customers and can talk about, you know, from their words, why what we do matters and what the benefits are to our customer head of sales they're going to be talking to all of these prospects anyway so it's good to get their face out there so that people can get familiar with them yeah and then just grow from there and have more linkedin content more youtube content more tiktok youtube shorts going out maybe potentially multiple podcasts at some point uh, being run from the technical perspective and from the leadership perspective um, and that would be my playbook and then kind of scale and hire and outsource from there. So that's the kind of spiel. Hit me with the questions. We can dig into any of these parts that kind of I went over here, any of these steps, or we can talk about anything else you'd like to talk about. And I'll also check out the LinkedIn Live. Will this be recorded? Yep, it's being recorded and we're going to publish it on our YouTube and on our podcast soon. Sven, all right. Sven, you have a Sven, are you down? I'll I'll bring you up here so you can actually ask the question directly and then we can go back and forth. I'm going to try that out. Uh, how do I do that? I think you can just unmute yourself and if you're down to I show you a video. By the way, I'm just going to frame this. Sven actually works at Project 33, but this was not... This was not planned. I'm not forcing him to show up here. He decided to show up here too. Please help. And also these questions are not pre-written. I'm assuming. No, they're not. No, they're not pre-written. All right. Let me know what what uh, what uh, questions do you have? So question number one regarding step one of the process, getting to know the customers. Mm -hmm. So from the perspective you brought is like you go into a company which already has like a customer base. They already have an idea who the customer is. So you try to reverse that process, right? So what about you go into a, a company which is pretty early on still, like an early stage company, maybe their existence one year, they have like two, three customers, but they are not exactly sure yet what yeah. their main target group is. How would you approach that? Oftentimes, I would say it's probably a bad decision to hire for marketing because basically that means that you haven't validated product market fit yet. You haven't validated your customer profile yet. You haven't validated unit economics yet. You, you're still in experimentation phase, right? You're trying to figure out what you're selling and to whom and how you're selling and all these things. And I think that job is usually up to the founder. They should figure that out. And once that is validated, then they can scale it up by hiring, by bringing on the marketing team, by doing a lot of these activities, like going out there into the world. But you know, if they're funded, let's say they're raised their seed round, they raised their series A, they haven't found product market fit yet, and they still want to hire marketing. I think I would still try to talk to my founder because maybe it's not validated, but there's some educated guesses around who we think we're trying to sell to and who we think this would add the most value to and what we think the product and feature set and price point should be, and then work with that. But then you just need to be more adaptive to be okay with if one month later, it turns out actually, no, the educated guess was wrong. We're now focusing on a different segment. We're changing the price point. The offer is being pivoted. Um, all of these things. So just you need to just have closer communication, I guess. It's not like you can have two customer interviews and then have it all figured out and then just go from there. It's more iterative, right? You need to have some initial assumptions and then and then dig deeper as time goes on. Okay, let, let me ask the same question from, uh, from a different perspective. So let's say the company already exists since a long time, right? And you are the CMO actually, right? Yeah. Found already figured everything out. Yeah. 
But in marketing, the problem is many times the market people don't have direct contact to the customers. That's the accounts management and the sales, right? Right. If you figure out, right, something is wrong. We're doing everything correctly, putting out the contents, but there is not the feedback which you wish to get. The KPIs are not correct. So there might be something wrong with the target group. Yeah. How would you approach that when you feel like, okay, maybe we don't get the correct target group, which the founder gave me? Yeah. So I think a, a red flag is if the company plateaued, right? If you're joining a company that has 20 full-time employees, let's say, or 30 or 50 or whatever it is, and they're basically, and they have whatever their revenue is, and they've stayed at that level for the last three years. That's a bad sign because that means there there is no traction, right? There is not enough resonance in the market. I would say there's not real product market fit. Clearly, they're offering a service that people want. That's why they have customers, That why they're able to hire 20 or 30 or 50 people. But they're they're now hitting a wall. So it might be that uh, the way that they scaled there is through personal connections, through the founder's uh, network, through referrals, through partners. But they're not able to grow cold within, with an audience that isn't a warm intro. So I think if you have something that growth grows fast, that's already a good indicator. And then I think, I mean, you just need to make the case. I mean, if they're not allowing you as the marketing person to talk to customers, that's a bad sign because that's what you're supposed to do with marketing, right? It's like you're supposed to communicate with potential customers. And so if something's not working, you need to figure out what's work, why it's not working. And the absolute best way is to get the direct contact and talk with actual customers and figure out what are the actual questions, the actual problems, the actual pain points that they're dealing with? Why did they actually buy? Because there's often a lot of assumptions. Um, I mean, we have that with our customers, right? Where we might work with a company who who raised the seat round and we have our onboarding questionnaire where we ask them, who's your customer profile? What's your product? How does it work? What are the features? What are the benefits? You know, all these things. And they fill it out. And what we don't know is that they didn't fill it out with, validated information they filled it out with their educated guess but they don't tell you that and so oftentimes it's just the the educated guess might be right and it might not be right so you need to get to the truth and the way that you get to the truth if it's not resonating is to actually talk to customers right because i see that quite often like on linkedin and people say like yeah you should uh make contents only like target specific like really target like targeting the your group and my claim is like some Sometimes maybe it might be smart not only to do like pretty much targeted content, but maybe like some broader content and see what you get back to see if maybe there are even broader target groups out there which you were not aware of until now. Right. I, I would just say it's the job of the founder. If you're bringing in a marketing person and you don't actually know exactly what you're selling and to whom and what the benefits are, that's not the responsibility of the marketer. You know, that's the responsibility of the founder to figure that out. And then you can scale that. I'm going to ask uh, answer a question here by Bill, who asked on the LinkedIn Live, would you change your approach for services versus a product? Not really. Um, I mean, we work with both services companies and product companies, software companies. I think the biggest differentiator is actually, one, are you B2B or B2C? because the channels are different, right? If you're an e-commerce company that's selling t-shirts on an online in an online store, you know, LinkedIn is not the right place for you. It's TikTok, it's Instagram, it's Facebook ads, uh, it's YouTube. 
Now, if you're B2B and you're selling to senior decision makers, you're selling to business owners, you're selling to CFOs, CEOs, heads of HR, then LinkedIn is a great platform, right? So I think channels are a little bit different. And then price point makes a big difference, right? Like, because the higher your ticket size, whether it's a product or a service, um, the more trust and credibility you need to build with people before they can buy from you, right? You might have a product that's a software tool that's seven bucks a month, and you don't need to build a lot of trust and credibility with people to try you out, right? A free sign up on the website product that growth might be a great approach for you because it's a very easy step for someone to say, all right, let me just try it out for a month. Worst thing, I lost $7, right? But if you're selling a enterprise software tool that costs $100,000, or you're selling a service that's $100,000, $50,000 because you you do 12-month agreements, then again, you need to build a lot of trust and credibility with people because they're not going to spend $50,000 with you on a whim, right? Because they saw some ad that was catchy with some, you know, crazy thing that was going on in the video. No, they want to validate that, you know, you're an expert, that you can solve their problem, that you understand the complexity of the situation, that you understand where the market is heading, all of these things. So I think that's the biggest differentiator um, for product versus service, like price point, are you B2B, are you B2C? And then there's just some nuances, right? You always need to validate it for your specific companies. Like we work with a construction company before, and I talk about this example because they're B2B, they're selling high ticket size, but the way that the buying decision was driven for their customers was bottom up by the superintendent who was on the construction side. And these people are not active on LinkedIn. You can actually check that on Sales Navigator. And you can see that these people are just not checking LinkedIn. And so you can post all you want on LinkedIn. If the people that drive the decision at your customers' accounts, then you know it doesn't work. Right, Sven, I think you had some other questions if you want to ask them. The last days on LinkedIn, there has been a lot of noise about AI-written copies. And that like, yeah. yeah, like copywriting won't exist anymore because AI would take it over. Now, looking at your process of those eight steps or seven steps, right? what steps do you think will be taken over by AI and when? How long do we still have? We actually experimented with that. Saurabh, Saurabh actually experimented with that. And I think what he basically did is he used ChatGPT and he told ChatGPT to write a LinkedIn post. But the input for that was the transcript of a conversation we had with the customer. And I think that where I see it fitting, I, I don't see it being at the point where it can create thought leadership or expertise for you. Because the way that it's built from my you know basic understanding is that it's trained with a model that has input from all these other content that people have created. So by nature, the only thing ChatGPT can do is kind of regurgitate what other things have already said just in a different way. Right. So if the goal is to create thought leadership content to position yourself as a thought leader, if you are a thought leader, right, you've been running this business for 20 years, you have deep expertise, all of these things, then Chant GPT will not, I think, for a long time until it really becomes, you know, general uh, artificial intelligence, will be able to take that away from you. What it might, I think, one, the commoditized writers, it would take out of business. Like there's a lot of SEO blog content writers who I don't know how many SEO agencies there are who have a blog post that's titled "What is SEO?" Usually, this is written by you know some content writer, some marketing hire brought in, and 
they don't know the depth of technical SEO and how it actually works and how it fits into a business context and how it drives business results. So what they do is they Google how, what is SEO and then they read five blog posts. And then based on those five blog posts, they just kind of create a Frankenstein type of blog post in their own little version. The writers who are doing that type of work are really in trouble. I think people who are deep experts in their in their field are not in trouble. I think it can streamline that process. So Saurabh tried that out, telling ChatGPT, write a LinkedIn post, the input is the transcript of the conversation. So as an input, you still have the real human expertise coming from a real subject matter expert in their field. And then ChatGPT can help format that and kind of cut it out and and do all that. And then I think the the purpose of the copywriters will be more of an editorial role where you then take that raw output from ChatGPT and then you still need to go over it, read through it, make sure that it's cohesive, add some things, take some things out, right? Put that human touch into it and to operate these systems, right? Because someone still needs to tell chat GPT, what to do. And I think where a lot of the value will be created, and again, this is my like naive amateur point of view, is it really depends on what you tell chat GPT, right? You can, for example, say, what is the difference between SEO and SEM? I don't know. Example. That's the question you give chat GPT. And then it gives you whatever output it gives you. Or you could say, write a LinkedIn post targeted towards CFOs at Fortune 500 companies looking to get into SEO and explain the difference between SEO and SEM relative to their business objectives. That's the input you give ChatGPT and the output will be very different. That might be the task of really strategizing around what input am I giving the system um, that's going to create the best outcomes. Let me see on LinkedIn whether there's a good example with the SEO article. I, I'm still absolutely mind blown that that companies do that. They should know that this doesn't drive any business outcomes, and they should know, given that they're an SEO agency, that it drives zero SEO because there's five million SEO agencies out there right now who have a blog post titled "What is SEO?" So they will never rank anywhere where someone will actually see that. You would assume this just doesn't happen, but it happens. All the time. I think there was a question here on LinkedIn for everything on top of the funnel would be really useful. I'm assuming you're talking chat GPT. So let's say you have an interview, you interview a subject matter expert, upload the transcript and let it write a blog post based on that. That could work. Yeah, I think it, it could totally work. Um, I mean, we've done that. Uh, the output seems to be pretty solid. Um, but again, then you still need a human to actually look over it, give it that human touch. Um, make sure that it took the right direction because sometimes it creates some weird outcomes. Sven, you had another question? The other one was like, I already have a broad idea about that, obviously, but it might be interesting for other people. Mm -hmm. So he said, you take the best performing posts mm -hmm. and repurpose them, right? For example, on newsletters uh, and so on and so on. So there are many different ways on how to, uh, how to define best performing posts. Right. The most common one seems to be the overall engagement rates. What is your opinion on that? Yeah. So we, uh, I actually thought about this quite a bit because we're creating reports for customers, right? And the, the point of the reports, quarterly reports, is to define what actually worked and what didn't. So we needed to have one criteria by which we can compare 
pieces of content. So we looked at the data on LinkedIn, right? Because we're posting also the videos on YouTube and in an email newsletter and all of these create different, you know, metrics on YouTube, you get a certain view amount and LinkedIn, you get certain view amount on, on your email newsletter, you get an open rate. We just looked at LinkedIn because LinkedIn is where you get the most organic traction. So you have more signal to noise. And so basically we, we created one scoring number. We call it total weighted engagements. And it's basically just likes plus comments plus shares. Every like counts once, every comment counts twice, and every share counts four times. Because a share is worth more than a comment and a comment is worth more than a like. You add it all together in this weighted way, you get one number. I think it's much better to look at that than to look at, for example, views, because I would much rather get a video that gets a thousand views, but a hundred likes, than a video that gets 10,000 views, but 10 likes, right? Because it just means that it actually created more reactions in people. Not only was it consumed or maybe shown on the feed, but it's something that people actually, you know, connected with, like they wrote a comment or they put a like or they shared it with their own network. And then also engagement rate, I think, can be perceiving because, you know, you might have a video that has a thousand views and then a hundred likes, or let's say a video video that has a thousand views and then 10 likes which is an engagement rate of 1%, or you might have a video that has five views and five likes, which is an engagement rate of 100%, right? Which is 100 times better than the previous one, but it still only has five likes compared to 10 likes for the other one. So again, I would much rather have the video or the piece of content that got 10 likes rather than the one that got five likes um, because it, it means more overall interactions with customers. So that's how we evaluate kind of what are best performers with this one, one metrics, uh, one metric. Okay, Samai is asking, hi there, Finn, this might be a little off, off the topic, but how to get past the entry barrier? For example, when we start creating content, we'd focus on topics that are really trending, but then we would not get enough engagement. What step would you take to start making content on a page from scratch? That's a really hard question because there's so many different variables, right? Like I'm I'm not sure where you're creating content. I'm not sure how you're posting it, what type of content. You know, let's say you have a topic that's trending, which is chat GPT. Okay, we know that chat GPT is currently something that's on people's mind. You've seen a lot of LinkedIn posts about it. So you say, let me talk about that too. That doesn't mean that for some reason you're magically going to create engagement on your post just because you're going to talk about chat GPT. It might help you a little bit, but really the what, what still matters by far the most is the content of what you're talking about, right? Like what, what are your actual thoughts about chat GPT? Do you have interesting thoughts or are you just regurgitating what, you know, the previous five people said about chat GPT and now you're creating this Frankenstein type of LinkedIn post? Or do you have a unique, new, interesting thought-provoking perspective that people haven't seen yet. And then once you have that, which that's the hardest thing to come by because that's expertise and you can't create expertise or insight out of thin air, right? That's why we work with senior leaders and with CEOs and with founders because the core ingredient to great content is to have someone who is an actual thought leader. Not someone who wants to be a thought leader, but someone who has actually been there, done that for many years. They've seen many things. They've tried many things. They've been in the trenches. They've gotten their hands dirty. They've talked to hundreds of people and customers. They've built the product, et cetera, et cetera. Then you can have something interesting to say. 
So once you have that, which is the hardest thing to come by, then you obviously need to figure out how to package it. Are you able to then communicate that thought and that insight in a clear, concise way that people can easily understand what you're trying to say without rambling, without going off topic, without saying it in 500 words when you could have said it in, in 100 words, right? Like that's then the next step. So there's just a lot of different things to consider, I guess. But um, just picking a trending topic will not will not guarantee uh, success. Any other last questions? Feel free to put them in. Otherwise, it seems like we are done here. Yep, seems like all questions are answered. Well, it, this was fun. Thank you guys for joining. I'm currently doing this every two weeks. So I've actually not thought about whether I'm going to do it in two weeks because it's December 28th, so kind of between holidays. So we might skip that one. But anyway, I'm always creating the event on LinkedIn. So you guys will know about that. And then if you want to sign up for this Zoom thing, um, if you want to kind of come on here and ask your question in person, you can sign up for the Zoom thing, both through the LinkedIn event that I'm creating. And then on our website, we also have the, the sign up page um, and you can add it to your calendar. If you have any topics in particular you would like me to talk about, always feel free to DM me. I'm trying to make this valuable for people and for marketers and B2B. So I'm open to talk about anything and everything transparently, whatever you guys want me to talk about. So, you know, even things that might not be narrowly concerned with B2B marketing or B2B content or LinkedIn, you know, anything else I'm always happy to answer. So yeah, this was fun. Thank you guys for joining. Uh, and I'll see you hopefully maybe in the next one. All right. Peace out. Bye-bye.